I do bring you greetings in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is a privilege to be able to open God's Word with you this week, Lord willing. There are many of you that I don't know, and so I look forward to learning to know a number of you uh, better this week. Uh, Thank you for that introduction, Brother Liam. Maybe just a little more introduction. We have four children. Our oldest son, uh, Joel, lives not so far away from us, and uh, he's an engineer and a hog farmer. Our oldest daughter, Janet, is an RN who has served in Guatemala and Jordan, Iraq, and she looks forward to uh, marriage here in December. Our third child, Joanne, and her husband, two sons are serving in Indonesia. And then our youngest son, Jeffrey, is single and serving in Bangladesh. And uh, my wife and I serve at uh, Strickler's Mennonite Church. It's good to have her with, her, with, us, her with us this evening and hopefully uh, the rest of the week as well. We live just on the other side of Hershey, uh, Hummelstown, as Brother Leon mentioned. The good news of the gospel doesn't change. It doesn't grow old, but it does need to be taught and shared and heard. To those who have heard it, Many times and responded years ago, it becomes sweeter each time it's heard. To those who may be hearing it for the first time, or perhaps for young ears who are just old enough to comprehend it for the first time, it's powerful. It's God's word. Romans 1.16, for it is the power of God into salvation to everyone that believeth. Of course, justification, aspect of salvation is just the beginning. We ultimately look forward to sanctification as we grow together in this life, grow to become more like our Lord and Savior, and we ultimately look forward to glorification as we look forward to living eternally with our Lord. And of course, in the Word, there's much warning given to those who reject the gospel, who reject the good news. I don't have an overarching theme for the week, but rather a variety of subjects that hopefully will draw us closer to God and closer to his word. How do I respond when my will and God's will are seemingly different? Now, there are times when my will is carnal and fleshly and selfish, and at those times, of course, I need to respond in repentance and drawing near to God. But I'm thinking more of the times whenever I want the best for someone. I want that unsaved neighbor to come to the Lord. Um, I want things that I think God would want as well. But the situation seemingly doesn't turn out that way, at least not in the time frame that I expect or would like. Now, we sometimes need to work through situations where brothers and the Lord don't see eye to eye. And isn't that God's will that we work together and show the world that we are Christians by our love? And yet, it doesn't always happen. Now, don't get me wrong. There are many times when differences are worked through. And whenever prayers are answered as we would like them to be. But that's certainly not always the case. And situations don't always turn out the way we would like them to. And we ask, why? God, why? And most of you have probably faced similar dilemmas. And perhaps it's 
especially in times like those, that I need to surrender my will to God's. Align my will with his. And what he was doing, and how do we do that? E. Stanley Jones has written, prayer is surrender. Surrender to the will of God and cooperation with that will. If I throw out a boat hook from a boat and catch hold of the shore and pull, do I pull the shore toward me or do I pull the boat toward the shore? Prayer is not pulling God to my will, but the aligning of my will with the will of God. End quote. I am very finite. God is infinite. My scope and my vision are very limited. His is limitless. God is no doubt disappointed by man's decisions many times, but he has an overarching, overarching plan that I may come to realize in this life or I may never realize in this life why something worked out the way it did. I'd like to consider the subject this evening of prayer and fasting this evening, a large part of which is surrendering my will to God's will. Prayer is something that many, if not most of us, would admit that we could and should do more of. Now, why is that? Why do we just say we should do more and not just do it? Now, there could be different reasons. Perhaps our priorities are all wrong. And other things take precedence. We have a wrong list of priorities. And if that's the case, we must take steps to change our priorities. To raise prayer to the priority, to the level that it needs to be. Or perhaps another reason we feel so adequate in prayer is that we don't quite know when we're done. Do you ever experience that? Or when we should be done. Now, whenever I'm working on a project and I pound the last nail or I tighten the last bolt or I clean up my paintbrush after putting on the last coat of paint, I can look back at that project and say with a sense of satisfaction, it's done. Okay, it's done. When is my praying done? When have I prayed enough? When is my prayer complete? And so perhaps there's some justification for this unease as to have I prayed enough? Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, pray without ceasing. And Luke 18, verse 1, he, Jesus, spake a parable unto them to this end that men ought always to pray and not to faint. And Jesus proceeded to then tell them the parable of the persistent widow and the unrighteous judge. On another occasion, after telling his disciples things to look for in the last days, Jesus declared there in Luke 21, 36, he said, Watch ye therefore and pray always that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass. And in 2 Thessalonians 1.11, Paul declares, Wherefore also we pray always for you. In Acts 6.4, one of the reasons the disciples proposed calling deacons was so that they could give themselves continually to prayer 
and to the ministry of the word. So how do we pray always or without ceasing or continually? How is that possible? Did these men not need to earn a living that they could pray continually? Could they spend their days all day long on their knees crying out to God? Well, no. But these verses do make us aware of a kind of prayer that's important. It's what we might call unceasing prayer. This is prayer that I can take that can take place when I'm tilling my garden. It can take place when I'm kneading my bread or I'm driving my car. It can take place when I'm playing a game or when I'm doing my book work. No, my eyes are not closed and I'm not in any special posture for prayer, but it's an awareness of the close presence of God and it's a heartfelt desire to be near Him to follow him, to be like him, to love him, to obey him. It is living life prayerfully and in communication with our Lord and Savior. It's being thankful to God for his goodness. It's the kind of recognition that I'm not alone, that God is with me here in this place. And I am here to bring honor to him. So unceasing prayer, continual prayer, is one kind of prayer. There's another kind, which is dedicated, focused prayer time. This is when I put aside all distractions and focus solely on communicating with God. This is closet time. This is sharing with Him. It's listening to Him. It's worshiping Him and adoring Him. Maybe with the Word open on my lap seeking to hear from him. It's time of worship, a time of intercession, a time of bearing my soul before God, who, of course, already knows me better than I know myself. But this dedicated, focused God time is essential to knowing God, who he is, and what he wants of us. This type of prayer is usually scheduled, or it often doesn't happen for most of us. It's like Daniel there in Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10, who went into his house and his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. It was like clockwork. Certain time of the day, he was there. Daniel's enemies, they knew there was nothing in Daniel's life that they could condemn him for. Likely it was because of his time that he spent in prayer. But they therefore targeted his relationship with God. You know the story, Daniel, knowing about the enemy's decree that whoever would pray to other God would be cast into prison. He continued in that focused scheduled prayer time. That's how important this time was to Daniel. And it should be to us as well. Both types of prayer are essential. Unceasing prayer and focused prayer. As we think about prayer, I'd like to consider first some pointers on how to pray and secondly, requirements for the one praying. 
Disciples came to Jesus one day and they said, teach us to pray. Now, I'm not aware of any other time that they came to Jesus and said, teach us to do this or that. But they said, teach us to pray. And they had observed that he spent a lot of time in prayer. It was important to him. And therefore, well, maybe it should be important to us as well. And Jesus, of course, taught them the example of the Lord's Prayer. Now, we've probably heard messages on the Lord's Prayer before. I'd like to take a different approach this evening and consider one of Paul's letters, the Apostle Paul, and what we can learn about prayer from Paul's example. If you would, I invite you to turn with me to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. I'll just read the first verse and then we'll jump up to verse 7. Romans chapter 1 and verse 1 just gives us a setting for this book. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. Verse 7. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request, if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end you may be established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now, Paul was a prayer warrior. Notice some attributes of Paul's prayer here and his thoughts about them that we can and should use in our prayers. First of all, verse 8, he was thankful. I thank my God for you. Prayer should be a time of thanksgiving to God. There are times when thankfulness is easier than others. Sometimes things are going well and it's easy to be thankful. Other times, not so much. But as we come to him, we should be mindful of his goodness and of his love to us and to others. In verse 9 here, we see that prayer should be personable. personal. He says, God is my witness, who I serve in my spirit, in the gospel of his Son. Prayer is personal communication with God. It's one-on-one -on -one communication, sharing intimate things that we might not share with others. Yes, there is a time for corporate prayer in worship services coming to God in prayer as a body. There's certainly a place for that. In fact, the Lord's Prayer has a corporate emphasis. Our Father, which art in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It's a corporate body emphasis. Corporate prayer is important. Understanding that we're part of a larger body of believers is important. But the tenor of corporate prayer will be different than when we are focused one-on-one -on -one with 
God. In our regular prayer time, prayer is personal. With times of recommitment and times of rededication, bearing our soul before the Almighty God, focused on Him who cares and loves for me, loves me individually. Also in verse 9, we, see, we spoke about this type of prayer earlier, but he says, Without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers. Now, Paul no doubt had times of focused prayer for them, but without ceasing and always seems to imply that his mind was toward them more often than that. Without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers. So unceasing prayer should continue between the times of focused prayer. Verse 9 also gives us a sense that Paul's prayer was sincere. He prayed, the fact that he prayed for them without ceasing and always. They were continually on his mind. Verse 10, prayer should be flexible. Now Paul's great desire was to visit the believers in Rome. This becomes apparent in the verses that follow, which I didn't read. If you could go down and read verses 13 through 16, you would see that Paul had great influence on the churches throughout many parts of the world. He would, he would give encouragement to and receive, receive encouragement from them. And he wanted to do that with the believers as, at Rome as well. He wanted to go to the believers at Rome that he might encourage them and that they might encourage him in return. Not for his glory, but for the glory of God. He says in Romans 15, 24, Whensoever I take my journey unto Spain, I will come to you, for I trust to see you in my journey. Paul was hoping to visit Spain. And on his way, he had hoped to stop by and visit the church at Rome to interact and share with them. As far as we know, Paul never made it to Spain, but he did get to Rome though not in the way that he had planned. He went as a prisoner. And so we see here that Paul's prayer includes the desire to be there with them in verse 10 and 11. But he says, if by any means or if possible, I'd like to visit you after visiting Spain. He doesn't demand this of God. Paul's plan was flexible. It was based on the will of God. That's ultimately what he wanted. He said, this is my desire. This is what I would like. But if possible, God, if God would grant it to me, I would like to visit you and share with you. Our prayers should acknowledge that we are not all-knowing as God is. Our prayers should be flexible. Related to that is that our prayers should be submissive. Paul was not only flexible, he desired that the will of God be done. James gives us this same thought in James chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. He says, For that ye ought to say, If the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. We've been reminded of this recently. Many of our plans have changed due to COVID and other things. The old brethren were probably uh, more mindful of this than we have been, uh, saying often, desiring that if the Lord will, will do this or that. God reminds us that we need to pray in a submissive way, desiring that His will be done in this situation. Finally, our prayer should be specific. 
Verse 11, why did he want to visit them? He wanted to visit them in order to impart unto them some spiritual gift to the end that you may be established. Paul wanted to encourage these believers. He wanted to share with them and learn from them. Mutual sharing, mutual encouragement. His prayer was specific in that regard. These are attributes that I think we can learn from as we share one-on-one with our holy, almighty God. The scripture has much to say about prayer. James says in James 5, 16, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. We all want to pray effectively. But how do we know if we've prayed effectively? We just talked about praying flexibly and submissively, so we cannot define effectual prayer as a prayer that always gets answered the way we want it to be answered, right? Rather, effectual prayer is prayer that provides God's will to be done. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Here are several guidelines for effective prayer. We want to pray in Jesus' name and for his glory. In John 14, 13, Whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Is there any other reason we might pray sometimes? If we pray to make us look good, if we pray to satisfy our pleasures, our earthly desires, that prayer will be ineffective. Even if it's answered the way we want it to be, even if God answers that prayer the way we wanted it to be answered, if we're doing it for our praise or our honor or for our uh, physical needs and purposes in a way that is dishonoring to him to bring honor to ourselves, that prayer is ineffective. Praying in a name other than Jesus' name or with a desire other than to glorify him will result in an ineffective prayer. We also want to pray with a pure heart. Psalm 66, verse 18, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Pray with a pure heart, which of course goes along with a pure life. We need to pray in faith, believing. But let him ask in faith, James 1, 6, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. You might say, well, how can I pray in faith? And at the same time, pray submissively if the Lord wills. Praying in faith is having a total reliance on God. God, I need you. And I know that your way is best. That whatever happens is going to be for my best. We often think of praying in faith as having assurance that things will turn out the way I want them to turn out. Praying in faith would better be understood as praying in full surrender to God, who is the Lord of my life, knowing that his way is best, whatever that is. James says, ask in faith, nothing wavering. Don't doubt that God will work it out 
for the best. He will, even though the best might be different than what we would want right now. The oft-quoted verse from Romans 8.28, very familiar. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. But what is good? Does that mean nothing bad will ever happen to us? The next verse goes on to say, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. Good, in God's eyes, and in the eyes of the submitted believer, is being conformed to the image of Jesus. And sometimes that requires pain on our part. Verse 28 says that all things work together for good. That is, they work together to help us become more conformed to the image of his son. That doesn't necessarily mean difficult things will not happen to us. When Jesus prayed to his father, he what did he pray there in the garden? He said, let this cup pass from me. The agony that he was facing, knowing that he was going to be hung on that cross, he prayed to his father. And yet, did God work that out for good? All that pain, all that suffering that Jesus bore on the cross for our sins was ultimately for our good as he paid the price for our sins and atoned for them. We are so thankful for the price that Christ paid for our salvation. It was extremely difficult, but God worked it out together, everything together for good. We also need to pray according to his will. 1 John 5, 14. This is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. Exhortation to seek the will of God by studying his word, listening to his spirit, communicating with him. Next, we need to pray with marital harmony. 1 Peter 3, 7. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of God. Why? That your prayers be not hindered. That your prayers be not hindered. If we're not living in marital harmony, this verse tells us that our prayers may not be answered because of that. We need to pray being under proper authority. Proverbs 28, 9. He that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be abomination. If we reject God's law, or we reject God's authority over our lives, even our prayer, this says, will be an abomination to God. We also need to pray being reconciled to our brother. Matthew 5, 23, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there remembers that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. We cannot come before God in effective prayer if we are at enmity with our brother. Also, Pray with fasting. Matthew 17, 21. 
Howbeit this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. Just a few minutes here, I'd like to just think about fasting. The scriptures do not give us a direct command to fast. Rather, they assume that we will fast. Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 16, Moreover, when you fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. Matthew 9, 15, Jesus said unto them, Can the children of the bride chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken from them, and then shall they fast. To married couples, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 5, Defraud ye not one the other, except it be with consent for a time, that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer. And come together again that Satan tempts you not for your incontinency or for your lack of self-control. These scriptures assume that we will fast on occasion. There may be those or some that cannot fast due to physical conditions. But for many of us, fasting would provide physical benefits as well. Still, that's not the reason that we fast. If there's not a spiritual purpose, it's not fasting in a biblical sense. It's simply going hungry. Biblical fasting is done for the purpose of strengthening earnest prayer, seeking God's guidance, seeking his deliverance or protection, humbling ourselves before Almighty God, expressing repentance or grief, or concern for his work. We might fast for the purpose of overcoming temptation, or the purpose of dedicating ourselves to him. We might fast for the purpose of expressing love and devotion to him. Oh God, I want more of you. But can't we do those things without fasting? Well, yes. But fasting heightens our spiritual awareness and heightens our facilities. It gives us a keener awareness of God, and it can increase spiritual power. On one occasion, Jesus told his disciples who were unable to cast out a specific demon, this is in Mark chapter 9 and verse 29, he says, this kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. And the strong implication there of Jesus' words is that prayer and fasting would help their unbelief. It would increase their faith. It would give them more spiritual power, even over the demon that was present there. Do I come before God knowing and believing that he will work this out for his best? As I face situations, circumstances, troubles, where I don't know where to turn, is my faith in God too small? Am I looking to myself to solve this problem? To resolve it? Thinking there must be something that I can do to resolve this. Yes, we need, do need to do what we can do. But we need, need to let the rest in God's hands. Am I certain I know how this needs to turn out. God, you've got to answer this prayer this way. 
or do I consider that God may have a better way? Jesus might be saying to me, this kind goeth not out except by prayer and fasting. Do you want my power to face this trial? Do you want my wisdom to make the right decision? Do you want my grace to do the right thing? Come to me. Come to me in prayer. Come to me in prayer and fasting. Fasting is not a declaration of our willpower, but rather it's an expression of our emptiness and bringing to be filled, longing to be filled with God himself. It's an expression of our desire to be filled with the strength that God himself supplies. If we fast to try to gain merit with God, or we fast to impress others, Jesus says in Matthew 6.16 that we have our reward. Rather, the great reward of fasting is more of God himself, seeking him earnestly. As we empty our stomachs, God says in Psalm 81.10, Open thy mouth wide and I will fill it. Christian fasting is not mainly about what we do without, but rather it's who we want more of. And so pray. And on occasion, fast. But don't tell me if you did or not. Don't tell anyone else. Likely your family will know if you're fasting. But there's no need for it to go beyond that. Spend time focused on God and hearing from him. Open his word. Praise him for who he is. Pour your heart needs out to him. Pray for the church. Pray for our brothers and sisters. Pray that we might be his witness in the community. Pray that we might become more conformed to Jesus, more like our Savior. Pray for our nation. Pray for the people and the leaders of our nation in the upcoming election. Pray for his kingdom's work in all parts of our nation and world. And for those who from this congregation are participating in that, taking the word across the world. Pray and fast that our prayers might be effective. Jesus, James 5.16, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. This evening, the message has been primarily directed toward believers rather than unbelievers. If you have not made your peace with God, the first prayer that you need to make is, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's the first prayer that each one of us need to make. Lord, I commit my way to you. I trust you as my Lord and as my Savior. If you do not know him as your Lord and Savior, that's the first thing. If you do know him as Lord and Savior, then your desire will be, to grow in him. I think we will just have a verse of invitation this evening. If the Holy Spirit is prompting you to commit or to recommit yourself to the Lord Jesus, I know this has not been an evangelistic message, it's been primarily toward believers, but if you have a need this evening, the Lord is, Holy Spirit is prompting you to commit or recommit your life to him, or you simply want to say, I want you to pray for me. 
Won't you just come forward this evening as we sing? Let's sing two verses of an invitation hymn. Thank you for your attendance and attention this evening. I trust that we've been challenged to draw near to God in prayer, on occasion fasting, and it's been, we look forward to sharing this week together. I trust that this will be a week of drawing our hearts and minds to God. Tomorrow evening, Lord willing, we'll be looking at the subject, the holiness of God. We serve a God that is love and a God that is holy. And uh, tomorrow evening we'll be looking at the holiness of our God. Let's stand to be dismissed. And Lord willing, we'll look forward to seeing you again tomorrow evening. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the privilege we have of gathering here this evening. Dear Lord, thank you for being a God who hears and answers our prayers. Dear Lord, you want us to come to you, and you, you do answer our prayers, sometimes in the way we would like and sometimes not. But dear Lord, you are almighty God, and we know that you are good, and we just thank you that we can bring our request to you knowing that you care, that you know, and that you answer. Heavenly Father, I just pray that you'll be with us this evening as we go from this place. Keep your hand upon us. Draw our hearts and minds to you in prayer and other ways as we think of you and as we trust in you. Be with us through this week of services. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Could we have another song?